Chapter 7 of Romancing the Tomb, a Good Omens fan fiction, written by Auntie Kate, read aloud by Skya Simaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on Archive of Our Own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Skya Simaru. Romancing the Tomb Chapter 7 Crowley Ex Machina There was nothing for Aziraphale to do but drive. He didn't have a choice in the matter, or any matters right now. Events had spiraled so far beyond his control now that all he could do was let himself be carried along by them a helpless twig on roaring white water. The Bentley was heavy and hard to steer, and he clutched the steering wheel with a white-knuckled grip. Don't think, just drive, he chanted to himself. Don't think, just drive. Turn here, Sandy instructed, and soon they were driving down another road with scenery Aziraphale would have appreciated if he weren't so focused on his own survival. Lovely die for it, isn't it, Uriel? Sandy said cheerfully. Very nice, Uriel replied, in the blank tones of any underling forced to agree with a superior. Do you know who I work for? Trenchcoat said from the back seat, indignantly. The question is, do you know who I work for? Sandy replied. He lifted the gun. It was black and squared off and very real. That's what you should be thinking about in this particular situation. After that, the other two men in the car were malevolently, resentfully silent. The car traveled along, the only sound the tires on the road, until Sandy began whistling. Aziraphale wasn't sure if it was the girl from Ipanema or something else. Either way, it was one of the worst things he'd ever heard in his life. He clenched the steering wheel even more tightly. He wouldn't even give Crowley a thought. Except, of course he did. The image of Crowley walking off down the street replayed again and again in his mind. He'd simply walked off as if they hadn't just... Aziraphale's mind threw up a host of synonyms, ranging from the sentimental to the vulgar, from made love to gone to bed with to fucked, and he finally settled on vague euphemism, as if they hadn't just been intimate. The drive through the heather, or was it gorse? Why did he keep forgetting? Was perhaps only forty-five minutes, and then Sandy told him to turn down a long, gravel driveway. He slowed the Bentley down to a crawl and drove it up to an ornate set of high black metal gates tipped with spikes. A high fence sloped away from them on both sides into dense thickets of trees. The sunlight had disappeared now, and thick gray clouds were scudding over the sky, bands of rain sweeping across the countryside. It was cold again, too, and Aziraphale felt chilled down to his bones. 
in intercom was set into the sandstone blocks, and the bald man instructed him to announce their arrival. Aziraphale did as he'd been told. An indistinct crackling issued from the speaker, and the gates swung inward. The long driveway was flanked by some sort of deciduous tree, their leaves caught in that brief moment of turning brilliant reds and golds, and at the end a large manor-house loomed beyond a circular driveway. It was grey and forbidding, and intensely ostentatious. It even had a turret. Sandy directed him to park the Bentley, and then, with a twitch of that gun, waved everyone out. The woman he'd called Uriel produced cable ties from somewhere on her person, and made handcuffs of sorts for the other two men. "'What about him?' Trenchcoat sneered in Aziraphale's direction. "'Why doesn't he get trussed up like a chicken?' Sandy gave a little nasally laugh. <laughs> "'Oh, he's not going to do anything foolish, is he? "'Now, bring the book.' Aziraphale obeyed and fetched his satchel. For a moment, he wondered if he should attempt something foolish, like attack one of them with his bag, or start running off down the driveway. But even before the thought completed itself, he knew he wouldn't. This wasn't a game. None of them were playing around. Uriel in particular had an intensity about her that was possibly even more terrifying than Trenchcoat's snarling, and Aziraphale thought she'd shoot someone as soon as smile at them. The five of them went in an odd convoy into the house, through a wide front door and into a large, gloomy entrance hall. The walls were wood-paneled in a rich timber that may have been mahogany, and Aziraphale had enough time to notice old oil paintings and heavy, dark, wooden furniture before Sandy opened a door and gestured them all through into another room. This one appeared to be an office of sorts, lined with bookshelves and a fire blazing in an impressive stone hearth along one wall. Beyond that, Aziraphale saw none of the details, because Anathema was there, perched in an old leather club chair. Aziraphale! She was on her feet instantly and caught him in a tight hug. Darling, darling, I'm so sorry. I'm so hopeless at saving people, Aziraphale said roughly into her dark hair. She was there and warm and, most importantly, alive. You're here now, aren't you? She spoke into his shoulder, her voice hitching. "'Yes, yes, I am. And don't cry. Are you all right? Are you hurt?' "'No, no, I'm fine. Are you hurt? What happened to you? Where have you been?' He didn't know what to say, and he didn't get a chance to say anything, because a too loud American voice boomed out. "'This is a charming reunion. Just precious. Nothing warms my heart more than seeing loved ones reunited.' But we do have some business to get down to. The voice belonged to a man Aziraphale had somehow not seen when he'd come in the room. He didn't know how he hadn't noticed him. He was tall and good-looking, in a black-and-white movie star way. His dark hair slicked back from his aggressively handsome face. He stood behind a massive oak and leather desk, looking out over the room with an expression 
that immediately made Aziraphale feel cold, appraised, and deeply dispensable. This is Gabriel, Anathema said, coolly. My charming host. She stepped back from Aziraphale's arms and tucked her smaller hand into his. He squeezed it, hoping to communicate courage to her, or at least solidarity. You must be Mr. Wilder. Gabriel walked around the desk and extended a hand, which Aziraphale almost shook, simply by polite habit. Then he remembered. This was the man who'd kidnapped his sister and threatened her life. He snapped his arm back. No? Gabriel said, his smile hardening. <laughs> Understandable, I suppose. And who are these two? Trenchcoat and his friend exchanged looks. That's for us to know, and you not to. How interesting. Well, I'm guessing you're both also after the book. Or you're after it on behalf of someone else. That's right. We're here for... Trenchcoat's friend began, but Trenchcoat elbowed him. Shut up, Liga! He snapped. Gabriel considered them both as if looking at a pair of cockroaches. I'm sure you'll change your mind about telling me when we get to know each other better. So, let's get the show on the road, Mr. Wilder, and then you and your sister will be free to go. This time, Anathema squeezed Aziraphale's hand. He pulled the packet out of his satchel and then handed it over. Excellent, excellent, very well wrapped, I must say. Gabriel returned to the other side of the desk and settled in the chair behind it and produced a pair of scissors from one of the drawers. He carefully sliced through layer after layer of tape and then slid out another well-wrapped packet. Even through the fear and the shock and the exhaustion of it all, Aziraphale still found himself intently watching Gabriel unwrap the package. At least he would see the bloody book now. Aziraphale, Anathema whispered urgently. The packaging looks different. Did you open it? Of course not, Aziraphale responded, but he didn't have time to say anything else as Gabriel pulled out the book from the final layer of wrapping. He'd always thought the phrase, his blood ran cold, was merely an overused cliché, but now he knew it was a description of a very real physical sensation. It was indeed possible to feel as though every red blood cell in one's body had been replaced by little chips of ice floating in a frozen slurry because he recognized the book immediately. The blue cover, the muscular man's torso that took up two-thirds of the front, the, rather ugly even he admitted, font of the title, his own name right there floating above the chest muscles. It was his third book, Betrayed by the Bad Boy, not his favorite of his own works, and even when he'd been writing it, he described it as a cynical money-making exercise, but of course it was one of his best sellers. Shit, Anathema said. Gabriel took a slow, deep breath and turned the novel over in his hands before setting it carefully down before him. He laid his hands flat on the table on either side of the book and seemed to take a moment to collect himself 
before he looked up at Anathema and Aseraphel. Very funny, Mr. Wilder, he said, very slowly and very clearly. Now, where is my book? Aziraphale stared at the paperback novel, so small and tawdry on the vast expanse of the desk. The only person who could have taken the real book was Crowley. It must have been Crowley. I don't know, he said, his voice timid and distant in his own ears. He must have stolen it. Come on, Mr. Wilder. Gabriel leaned back in his chair, and it gave a little squeak. Do you really expect me to believe you don't know where the book is? Yes, I met a man, you see. We had a little accident, and, well, he must have stolen it when we... Tell me where the book is. Gabriel's expression was flat and hard. I can't. I don't know. If I may interrupt... Sandy said over Aziraphale's stammering. He was with Crowley when we found him. Gabriel looked from Aziraphale to Sandy and back again. Anthony Crowley? The forger? My forger? Yes, sir, that Crowley. Gabriel steepled his fingers together. Anthony Crowley stole my book? Anathema looked at Aziraphale and mouthed. Who? Crowley. If Anathema only knew what had happened, what he'd done, she'd be furious with him. He was furious with himself, for his own stupidity, for trusting Crowley, for thinking he had feelings for him, which of course he hadn't. He realized that now they hadn't been feelings at all, just a sad delusion. Aziraphale had been taken in by his face and those legs and his smile and the way he'd kissed and every bloody thing about him. He'd been thoroughly had by a lying, two-faced, conniving, heartbreaking fiend. This is an interesting situation, isn't it? Gabriel said. It wasn't a question. Aziraphale squeezed Anathema's hand once more. I'm so sorry, darling he said. I've made a complete mess of everything. Yes, Gabriel said. You certainly have. He opened his mouth to say something else, but a knock on the door interrupted him. Who the fuck is it now, Santa Claus? Trenchcoat said, which was the only thing he'd said so far in their short and unpleasant acquaintance that Aziraphale agreed with. The door opened. And Crowley stepped in. Hi, guys, he said, with a wide, charming smile. If this had been one of Aziraphale's novels, he might have described the feeling of seeing Crowley again as an overwhelming tide of emotion. Or perhaps he'd have written it as an internal battle, relief and desire, warring against fear and suspicion. He might have written about the sense memory of his mouth on Crowley's skin, about the way his eyes had fluttered shut in the shower when Aziraphale had gone down on his knees, the way he'd tasted. He might have written paragraph after paragraph about hope and dread and how they were two sides of the same coin, a coin that was spinning in the air at that very moment. 
he might have written that it felt like time had stopped, and he might have spun out the agony of it deliciously, postponing the inevitable conclusion for his readers, holding off the payout just that tiny bit longer. In reality, it didn't feel at all like delicious agony. It mainly felt like heartburn. It had been probably an hour since Crowley had got out of the car and walked away, and Aziraphale had thought he'd never see him again. And yet here he was. He was still wearing his sunglasses. Some of his hair had escaped his ponytail and fell messily around his face. Gabriel stared. Tony! We were just talking about you. Yeah, I thought my name might pop up, Crowley said. He sauntered in carelessly, strolled across the room to stand in front of the fireplace. As he went, he gave Aziraphale one of those almost smiles, which could have meant anything at all, given that his eyes were hidden behind his sunglasses. Hello, Aziraphale. And you must be anathema. <laughs> "'Has Gabriel shown you the T-Rex skeleton in the billiards room yet?' There was a stretch of strained silence in the room. Gabriel was still looking at Crowley with something like astonishment. "'What's going on?' Trenchcoat's friend said in a stage whisper. "'Fact if I know,' Haster replied, equally loudly. Gabriel snapped a look in their direction, and both Sandy and Uriel shifted as though readying themselves for some action. The tension in the room was almost thick enough to see. "'According to Mr. Wilder here, you stole my book,' Gabriel finally said. Crowley's hands were empty, Aziraphale noticed. Where was the book? Had he hidden it somewhere? What was he doing? Was he trying to get himself killed? Was he here to help Aziraphale, or... "'Gabriel!' Gibe! Stolen is such a nasty way of putting it, Crowley said mildly, as if chatting about the weather. What if I said, I'll give you the exact location of the book, after Aziraphale and his sister are home safe in London? Aziraphale still wasn't sure what he felt, whether he was going to be sick or not. All he knew was that he couldn't take his eyes from Crowley's face. What if I break every single bone in your body and rip out your liver and feed it back to you? Sandy sneered, all trace of friendly neighborhood butcher gone now, replaced entirely by a horrifying Sweeney Todd. Gabriel held up one hand. No, let's discuss this like reasonable people. I don't know how you've ended up wrapped up in this business, but I can assure you, it's in the best interests of everyone involved if you just tell us where the book is. Crowley tilted his head sideways. Sorry, you'll have to be a bit more specific than that. Are you threatening me? This was the thing that seemed to break Gabriel's veneer of pretending not to be a sociopath, and his face instantly purpled with rage. Of course I'm threatening you, you little shit! That book is worth a thousand times any of your horrible little forgeries. Do you understand? Tell me where it is. Crowley considered this as someone might consider a waiter presenting a menu. Or oh, what? You either tell me, 
or I'm going to march everyone in this room outside, and Uriel and Sandy here are going to start shooting. Gabriel snarled. Afterwards, Aziraphale would remember the next few minutes as more of a series of disconnected vignettes than a coherent whole. Trenchcoat shouted something, and from the edge of his vision, Aziraphale saw the man and his friend leap to their feet. They were both moving, and then Trenchcoat slammed into Sandy's back, and the other man barreled into Uriel. Something flew from Sandy's grasp, something black and dull. It was the gun, and it arced across the room and then landed at his feet. At least, he registered dimly, it didn't go off, just thunked heavily against his left shoe, right where he could reach down and grab it. It felt as if someone had turned down the volume in Aziraphale's mind. Everything seemed suddenly very clear. He looked down at his feet, at the gun lying on the richly patterned rug beneath his feet, and he knew what he had to do. He bent over, picked the gun up, and lifted the muzzle to point straight at Gabriel. Everyone, stop! The effect was immediate and rather gratifying. Uriel had managed to shove Trenchcoat's friend away, and she scrambled up and then froze in place when she saw Aziraphale was holding the gun. Haster and Sandy were on the floor, but when they noticed Aziraphale, they both stopped rolling around and stared up at him. Gabriel slowly lifted his hands. Crowley was standing stock still, any hint of his former nonchalance gone now. Aziraphale could feel more than see Anathema's shock, as if she was vibrating on some higher plane. Anathema, would you be so kind as to relieve this young lady of her weapon? Aziraphale inclined his head towards Uriel. He was surprised by how calm he sounded. It seemed that Uriel was about to argue, but Aziraphale shifted the muzzle of the gun to point straight at her. She swallowed and passed her own firearm into Anathema's hand. Anathema took it gingerly and then stepped back to Aziraphale's side. Now what? He looked to Crowley, who was staring at him and smiling. Where's the book, Crowley? Aziraphale said. I'd like to give it to him so we can all leave. Aziraphale. Crowley took a step closer, but Aziraphale frowned at him and he stopped, the smile sliding off his face. Crowley, where is the book? You know he isn't going to let you go after you give him the book, right? That's a lie, Mr. Wilder, Gabriel said. Ask your sister. We've been nothing but kind since she came to stay. You kidnapped me off the street! Anathema snapped back, indignantly. That was just business. Of course we're going to let you go. Gabriel spread his arms wide, and he looked every inch a used car salesman. He's not a man you can trust, Crowley said urgently. And I can trust you, can I? Aziraphale snapped, and Crowley didn't argue, didn't respond with an, of course, or some other pretty lie. He just nodded once. Mr. Gabriel, if we give you the book, will you let us all go now, including Crowley? Gabriel's eyes flicked around the faces in the room. Of course. Where's the book, Crowley? 
Aziraphale asked again. Are you sure about this, Aziraphale? Crowley asked softly. I want to take my sister home and forget any of this ever happened. Crowley nodded at that. He slipped his sunglasses off and tucked them into his jacket pocket before reaching behind himself with one long arm beneath his own jacket to produce something that seemed to have been stuffed down the back of his jeans. Anathema inhaled sharply. You had the Book of Angels down your trousers? Do you even know what it's worth? About fifteen million quid, maybe more, Crowley replied. He shrugged. Wouldn't fit in my pocket. The book was about the same size as Aziraphale's own novel, and its red leather cover was patterned with Celtic-looking knotwork. It was smaller than Aziraphale thought it would be, small and rather dull and unimpressive, given all the bother it had caused. It was just a book, just one small red book. Give it to me, Gabriel said, and then you can all walk out of here. No hard feelings. Crowley seemed to consider this, and then his eyes flitted back to Aziraphale's face. I'm sorry, he said. He turned and fanned the book open, and then dropped it into the fire, where it caught a light immediately with a bright flare. Anathema let out a small shriek of horror, and Gabriel let out a louder one, and Trenchcoat darted forward. Without thinking, Aziraphale lifted the gun up and squeezed the trigger. The gun leapt in his hand, and the burst of sound exploded through the room with a cracking boom. He almost dropped the gun from the recoil, but somehow kept a hold of it, although he already knew his arm would ache later. His ears rang from the sound, a high-pitched tinny whine, a slight plume of plaster dust, drifted down from the ceiling from the bullet hole. But everyone was still again, every eye on Aziraphale's face. The book still blazed merrily in the fireplace, and the smell of it was dreadful, like scorching plastic and burnt sausages. Flakes of the pages drifted up the chimney, and Aziraphale couldn't bring himself to care at all. Even if someone pulled it out, it was already charred beyond recognition. Gabriel broke the moment first. I will fucking kill you, every last one of you, he said in a harsh, awful voice, and Aziraphale had no doubt he meant it. Yeah, you're not going to get the chance, Crowley said. The police are coming now. Aziraphale realized that the ringing in his ears was also now the sound of sirens. Gabriel's face twitched as if he was considering trying something stupid but Aziraphale pointed the gun at him once more. Stay where you are. Everyone just stay where you are. He looked at Crowley, and everything he wanted to say tumbled out of his head, so he settled for... Why? Crowley opened his mouth to reply, but whatever he was going to say in return was lost forever as the door of the room flew violently inward. It was the police. There was rather a lot of them, and there was rather a lot of shouting, and Aziraphale remembered he was holding the gun, so he lowered it carefully to the ground. More and more officers swarmed in, 
and handcuffed everyone, including both Aziraphale and Anathema, although a few moments later they were unhandcuffed. They were taken outside the manor house, where there were more police, and a whole fleet of police cars and vans. There was an ambulance, too, and someone kept offering Aziraphale a warm blanket, which he declined. He kept hold of Anathema's hand, and watched as the police did their various police things. He felt vaguely as if he was floating over his own right shoulder, tired and drained but still somehow jittery, as though he'd stayed up all night and then drunk far too much coffee. His ears were still ringing from the gunshot. Someone came and told them they'd be taken to Aberdeen, to the station, to give their statements, and then someone else came and gave them each tea and styrofoam cups, and then someone else came and offered them both blankets again. Anathema turned to look at him. That was so brave, Aziraphale. You saved us. And what happened with you and that man? The book burner. I don't understand any of it. Aziraphale looked down into his bitter, undrinkable tea. He didn't know how to even begin. I'll tell you everything, I promise. Just give me time to catch my breath. They watched as Gabriel and Sandy and Uriel were led outside, and then driven away in a van, followed by Trenchcoat and his friend. Finally, Crowley was marched out of the house by a pair of police officers, his hands cuffed behind his back. Aziraphale watched as they walked him over the gravel of the driveway towards a police car. Crowley had come back, and then he'd burned the book. None of it made any sense, and Aziraphale couldn't even begin to understand it. Crowley was a wretched, awful man, and he'd come back and the worst of it, the absolute most ridiculous part of it, was that Aziraphale still wanted him. He wanted Crowley as desperately as he had the night before, when he boldly kissed him. He wanted him as if none of it had happened, even after he'd stolen from Aziraphale, even after he'd lied, even after he'd burned the book, even as he was led away by the police. Aziraphale still wanted him. Crowley didn't look at Aziraphale until the officers let him go so he could climb into the back of the police car, and then their eyes only met briefly before the door was slammed shut. Then the car drove away, and it was all over. End of chapter 7 Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.